Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. This week we wanted to talk about uh, when you're forced to do something for outside reasons or market demand or pragmatic reasons uh, that maybe that like maybe you don't you wish you wouldn't have to do or you think you shouldn't have to do uh, but you're forced to do it anyway and this was brought about um, the reason I wanted to talk about this initially is, is that I I had a number of things happen recently with overcast that were of this nature and where I had to basically adopt to the way people actually are or the way things actually work uh, rather than hold on to my, you know, longstanding, you know, belief that it should be a different way, um, or my wish that it was a different way because it would save me some work, <laughs> which is often, often the case. Yeah. Um, the first, the the big one that kind of drove all this was Overcast recently had to implement feed redirect support and or permanent feed change support, and I talked about this a little bit on ATP last week, so I'm not going to go too far into it, but. Uh, the basic idea here is that podcast feeds change over time, and podcasters, when they podcasters often will move the feed to a different service or to a different host or to a different ad tracking platform or whatever else. They just move the feed, and and they don't like if if you move a website, you usually set up a redirect from the old URLs to the new URLs, and you usually leave that redirect there forever. And even if you give it the the permanent redirect code of 301 uh, rather than the temporary one of 302, you still leave up the redirect forever because you know that, like, there's old links that point to it, there's old search engine ranking that might point to it, and so you you know that, like, it's a good practice on the web to to basically make redirects work forever. So if you're writing something that that keeps URLs in a database and and crawls them every so often, on the web you can pretty much never process permanent redirect codes and be fine because almost all the redirects will keep working indefinitely into the future. And when I made Overcast, this is how I set up the database. And and this was, you know, I mean, I made the database in 2013. That, that's when I made the schema. I started crawling uh, and, and started building up my database of feeds and, and the app launched about a year later. And so for me... At the time, I, I made this decision of how to structure my feeds table and my feed items table uh, and, and how users interact with feeds and feed items. I designed this whole schema back then, and there was this one big flaw in the schema, which was that feeds couldn't have their URLs changed. If a, if a feed was created with a new URL, it would be a whole new feed entry, and then there was no mechanism in place to do things like you know, if if a new URL is created, and then the, and then one of the old ones redirects to that one, how do I? Can I merge those entries? Do I copy the old one to the new one? Do does the new does the old one have some kind of alias list that also points to the new one? I had no setup like that in place, and so the entire app and everything and the entire database were built up without that consideration or without that possibility. And this started to become a problem pretty soon after launch that a couple of webs a couple of podcasts started switching their feed urls and for a while i thought well you know people will just subscribe to the new one the old one will still work forever because it'll redirect and it'll be fine there were a number of problems with the setup in reality uh one of the big ones is that when I, when i would do things like count subscribers to do things like search ranking uh the two different entries would count as independent feeds 
Uh, I would have to do search filtering. So things like, you know, I filter, I don't show search results that don't have an iTunes ID associated. So when the iTunes ID would move, it would basically lose the search ranking and the entire history of the previous one, et cetera. Um, So there were all sorts of problems with that. But it wasn't a big problem because not a lot of podcasts were moving their feeds in 2014. And then over the following years, a lot of podcasts switched from HTTP to HTTPS. And because as, as a lot of websites did, as we all kind of learned that that would, we probably should be doing that. Um, that created a whole lot of duplicate entries. Additionally, during that time, uh, certain podcast networks shut down or moved or changed their names, changed their domains. Uh, and that caused even more extra or, or moved entries. And then the big one was, over the last year or two, a lot of major podcast publishers have switched to dynamic ad insertion platforms, which host the feed at their own URL for who knows what reason. Um, and so tons of major podcasts are now switching their feeds. If they didn't already do it with HTTPS like two years ago, in the last year, they're now doing it with ad tracking platforms. So I've had a like it, it basically went from a small problem in year one to a medium-sized problem in year two and a really big problem in year three. Um, And so I finally had to implement feed redirects. And I had, you know, all this time I've been thinking, like, I can just follow redirects. I can, like, they'll be fine. They'll They'll be good forever. And the reality was just different. The reality was podcasters don't do things the way web web developers do things. They break redirects. Like, they consider iTunes the authoritative source. And if iTunes moves the feed for them, which they can do through multiple different means, either a 301 or putting a special XML tag in the feed that was returned with a 200 response or going through like an iTunes uh, customer support representative running the podcast directory and like just like emailing somebody and saying, sorry, we messed up our feed. Can you fix it? And none of those things would carry over to Overcast. So the reality of the market was very, very different from how I wanted it to be. I really badly wanted it to work in this one way that websites always work, which is like, you know, set up a redirect and keep it up forever. Uh, But the reality was very different. The reality was podcasters would move their feeds frequently. They would break the old URLs and redirects most of the time. And even if they didn't, I still had this problem of like split feeds in the the database. Um, So that's no good. So finally, over the last couple of weeks, I finally wrote redirect support. And because of my database schema being so unfriendly to it, it's a huge hack and it's not perfect. Um, The way I do it is I basically like copy your old entries onto the new feed and delete your old ones. And that's not great. Like there's a whole lot of downsides to that. One of the big ones is that the app seeing a new feed item ID for all these episodes, uh, the app redownloads them all. That's no good either. Uh, so you, like you, it maintains your history, but you have to download like all of a sudden your phone is downloading like all your saved episodes of a certain show that you hadn't listened to yet, and that's kind of weird to cut to happen unexpectedly. So that's not a great solution, uh, but I had to be pragmatic. I had to address this problem somehow because the market was very different than what I wanted it to be. Yeah, and I I think. I also hear in, in what you're saying, it's this thing that is so happens to me, it's happened to me so many times is it's as much as we would like, I think we would like to be able to predict the future. And when we're initially building our applications and we're designing them and we're structuring them, we would make choices that 
you know, our future selves will thank us for, right? And conceptually, that sounds great. That, okay, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, I should engine, you know, I should stru- structure these things, you know, with maximum flexibility. And I should be able to, you know, I should, ahead of time, I should consider all these possibilities. The reality is, um, I've done this enough to know that you can't. Like, that is impossible. Um, and things will change and break and become problems in ways that you could never have predicted. Um, maybe you get slightly better at this. You know, maybe you don't make the same mistake twice, like the, those types of things, maybe improving. But I feel like the situation you find yourself in is something that is universal to app development or just, you know, software engineering in general, that you will at some point make, be forced to either, you know, you either have to make an assumption or you have to explode complexity. Like those are two choice. One of those two things you have to do at hundreds of points in your application as you're developing it. You either have to, you can make an assumption. You can say, in this case, you're going to assume, you know, that mapping a feed URL to the feed ID directly um, will be a stable link. Or you have to explode complexity and like you would build, you'd have to do some very complicated things to make that work, you know, flexibly. And in this case, you know, you chose to make the, to to start with the assumption, but like, that's the same thing that we do all the time. That's so much, so much of, you know, software development um, is about getting good at making that decision between making an assumption and explaining complexity. And you could apply this to so many things, like how complicated is your class hierarchy? Um, you know, what do, kind of choices do you do for you know, data persistence? Or oh, so many different things come down to this base, this very simple situation. Or do you, are you going to make an assumption or are you going to explode complexity? And like, and that means that you're stuck. Like now you have to go and do, be forced to do this thing because your assumption you know, proved to be wrong or proved to be en- wrong enough that continuing with that assumption um, becomes problematic. And it's so much more complex, too, because like, like, as I've mentioned this on Twitter here and there the last couple of weeks, uh, I've gotten a number of people who are suggesting like, oh, why, don't, why didn't you just do this with your database or why didn't you just make this migration happen? And a lot of them... A lot of the the ideas or suggestions don't really work or aren't as simple as they sound because Overcast is not just a local app with a local database. It is a service with a server backend that syncs between multiple copies of your app on multiple devices. So any kind of like one-way migration either can't happen or is way more complex than you would think. And also, because it is a server-backed app, the, the complexity of the schema has a direct relationship to how scalable it is and how efficient it is and how expensive it is to host. Um, you know, if if every lookup to the feeds table has to then make another lookup to some kind of like URL aliases table or something like that, like to, to map the URL onto the feeds that I'm fetching, that's a pretty significant hit in performance. That's, that's much more complexity and that could be way more load on the database servers and that could really make scaling more difficult. And if you have, multi, if you have many of those things in your schema for flexibility and everything, uh, then you start running into pretty big scaling problems uh, and, and big challenges that either just make your life hard or make things cost way more to host and, and that could break your business model. So like, there's, there's all sorts of other considerations here that make things like this sound like a hard problem anyway so that was you know 
one problem of many that I've had, uh, and I kind of wanted to uh, to you know talk for the rest of the show about a few more of those. Uh, but before we do, speaking of scaling your web servers, we were sponsored this week by Linode. Linode has fast, powerful web hosting options that you can get set up in just seconds. It's very, very easy to understand all their tools, and they can let you choose the resources and Linux distribution that you want, giving you the power and flexibility that you need. All this starts at just $5 a month. That gets you a server with one gig of RAM in the Linode cloud. Linode servers are very, very fast. They have industry-leading performance. They have native SSD storage on all their servers, access to a 200 gigabit network. Intel Xeon E5 processors are my favorite line of processors. These are the fastest processors in the cloud market. Linode has over 400,000 customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them if you need any help. You can chat over IRC if you need any help. And they have all sorts of wonderful documentation. It's all public. You can see it right now. And In fact, a lot of times, if you search for Linux server administration topics, a lot of times the search results you get from Google are just Linode's support articles because they are so easy to understand and so helpful. So, Linode has fantastic pricing options available. Again, you can get a server with 1 gig of RAM for just 5 bucks a month. You can get a server with 16 gigs of RAM for just 60 bucks a month and a whole lot of levels above and below and in between. Across the board, this is twice the amount of RAM that you'll get at most other places. As a listener of the show, if you sign up at linode.com slash radar, you'll be supporting us and you will get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a 7-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash radar. To learn more, sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit or use promo code RADAR2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for running all of my servers and supporting the show. So another one I had with uh, Overcast, a small one before I go to another big one, is um, password-protected feeds. This is one that, you know, podcasts sometimes will have paid memberships or other kind of like, you know, private feeds that they protect with some kind of password authentication scheme, uh, usually you know HTTP basic auth, so it's compatible with with a lot of apps. Uh, and this becomes a problem when you have server side crawling, like, like Overcast does, and a couple of a couple of competitors do, because it, it the the question becomes like, well, where do you ha- do you retain the password and the entry on the server side, and then do you crawl with someone's password? Do you ha- how do you protect that from being used by multiple people, uh, and then? If you have a whole lot of people who all have separate usernames and passwords that they're crawling the feed with, do you have to then crawl the feed from like, you know, a hundred thousand different users uh, from like a hundred thousand different copies of the feed? Like, do you have to keep all those in your database and have all those clogging up your crawler? So it's kind of a big problem. So when I launched Overcast, I, I made a decision: I'm just not going to support those. And and I this was kind of like a political decision. Like, I don't like that I have to support these, so I'm just going to see if I can not support them. And and just hope that nobody uses password feeds anymore after a while. And that turned out not to be the case at all. <laughs> it, it turned out that uh, password feeds are getting more and more popular as more and more podcasts exist. And many of them choose to have paid tiers or, or private feeds or something like that. And what a lot of people figured out also is that uh, when I switched my crawlers to use Go, uh, to, to be, to, when I switched to, to a Go-authored crawler, Go's URL library... If you supply it a URL that has the username and password prefixed on it, the way you could do like username colon password at hostname, it that will just work <laughs> correctly in, in in the Go crawling library. And people figured this out about Overcast a couple of years ago, and so people have been adding username and password feeds to Overcast anyway, and <laughs> just doing it. You know, just like the nerds who figured that out 
know to just add that manually as a URL. And so I'm already now having my database be filled up with lots of these copies of these things and and lots of different feeds and and the good thing is that like you know concerns like whether it's you know kept private or not that just kind of works with Overcast because I filter by uh, whether feeds have iTunes IDs and if they don't have iTunes IDs they don't show up in search or in many other places um, and so these copies of these private feeds that have these usernames and passwords prefixed on them don't have iTunes entries so they don't show up in search. Uh, so that that part ends up working, but I am seeing my database slowly fill with these anyway, and now there's so many of them that if I would like close that hole and make those not work anymore, that would be a pretty big problem for me. I'd have a lot of very angry people, and that would probably be like you know a a, a pretty nasty move. So I'm not going to break these. Now instead, I've decided you know what actually the right move here is to just make an interface. <laughs> like I should like on the add URL screen. I should just detect whether it's giving me a 401 response and prompt people to enter a username and password and just store that for them in the URL for the feed. Uh, Because again, this is like pragmatic versus ideal. Like in the ideal world, I shouldn't have to deal with these in the real world. Turns out I do. And so I might as well make it pleasant for people who use them. And I might as well. And, and you know, the reality is I just have to design my crawlers and scale my crawlers in such a way that having a whole bunch of these feeds in the database is not going to be a problem. And that's just the reality. Yeah, and I mean, because the reality is you have to do, like, it's really hard to impose your will on your users um, in that way. Like, if people want to you want to do this thing and they want to use your app to do it, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it would doesn't really get you very far if, like, when someone put... Like the alternative, I suppose, is like if someone went to the add URL screen and you detected they there was a you know a username and password prefix to the URL, you know you could throw up a big nasty message and say no 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 this is not what we do in Overcast <laughs> with a wagging finger bad URL <laughs> that's really that otherwise this is going to happen like people are going to realize yeah, and, it is happening yeah and and if anything you could you view it as it's like okay well you were able to. Um, without without really doing any extra work, you were able to see how big of a market need and interest <laughs> there is in this. Um, so at least it's a slightly positive in that sense. Like rather than building this feature ahead of time, you're able to build it now, knowing that it will be used, that you know roughly how many people are going to use it. And then you can you know make a, changes to the way you do crawling or the way that you manage these things accordingly. Um, to take advantage of it and so like it's a good thing in that sense but yeah like you can't i mean you this is this is the kind of thing that just sort of always happens i find that you know you expect people to be using your app in one way and so often it is the way that you want to use it or the way that you you know you have it in your mind and then you get a support request or you get an email from somebody and they show you something about how they were using your app that can kind of sometimes it's like it's like you're doing what now <laughs> right Ex- exactly what, what okay like and sometimes i see those things and it's like that's genius like that's amazing i need to you know like percolate this up into this actual proper feature uh and sometimes you're just like um i'm amazed that works um it's not intended to work uh i don't know if it will work in the future good luck 
Um, but like, it, it is just one of those things that, you know, users are shockingly creative about with the ways that they'll make something work. Um, especially, I mean, if anything, it's a compliment to Overcast that people, even though this isn't a feature of the app, they took the effort and did the work to make it, you know, to, to somehow make it work because they want to use the app anyway, that they don't want to switch to another app, um, that may, you know, support this at a, you know, at a official level because that, you know, they like the app and they want to stay with it anyway. And my final example here that I wanted to talk about today was uh, when the iPhone X came out, it, it, you know, it has this new OLED screen. And it turns out that completely black looks really good on an OLED screen. <laughs> the problem is that completely black doesn't look so good uh, if you have like a totally black background and, you know, other elements that are like, you know, lighter and color. Totally black does not look as good on LCD screens, the screens that we've had on iPhone since the first iPhone before this. But true black looks really good on OLED. And and all those like dark grays that we've been using on LCDs, because that looks better there, don't look good on the iPhone X. So when, as soon as iPhone X came out, there was immediate demand from users who want all their apps to have true black themes available. Designers, you know, having been accustomed to LCD screens for the last forever, uh, designers have all have all basically said, like, you know, look, it doesn't look as good. It's hard, and it is harder in many ways. Like, there's certain certain design themes and standards that just either don't work or have to be severely modified to work with a true black background. Um, and designers can argue, like, maybe they don't think it looks as good, but the reality is, a lot of people think it looks good, and a lot of people want it. And one of the things they started doing when the iPhone X shipped, I got a massive spike in requests for supporting the accessibility smart invert colors feature. Because what had happened was people seeking more dark themes in their apps with iOS apps that so often are like bright white. Uh, they There have been numerous articles posted online telling people, hey, neat trick. You can turn on this smart invert colors feature in accessibility settings and all your apps turn black. And so they were doing that, and Overcast didn't support it correctly with, like, it, like it was, Overcast was not excluding the images from being inverted, so all the artwork would look weird. So I got this huge spike in requests when the iPhone X came out to support smart invert colors. The reality was these were not people who needed this for accessibility reasons, for the most part. They were people who just wanted a black theme. And because it looks so, it looks so good on their, on their iPhone X, and it's better on the battery and stuff. So... Even though I thought, you know, I should probably, like, you know, True Black, I thought looked kind of, you know, it's 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 a pretty bold look when you first see it. It, it. I now think it looks good, but it took me a few hours before I thought it looked good <laughs> after I started using it. Um, but the reality was the market was making their own black theme, even if I wasn't. Like, they would just turn on my white theme and turn on Smart Invert Colors and Accessibility, and they were making a black theme. So the correct thing for me to do, which I did in the next update, was fix my smart invert color support to make the images look correct and then also add a black theme <laughs> because like that's the reality no matter what you think of black themes everyone now wants them and if you don't give them one they will work around that to get themselves one with accessibility settings and that makes a lot of the system look really weird and it's over like if you don't need invert colors as an accessibility option you shouldn't be using it there's lots of weird side effects to it uh but people wanted the black theme so badly that they did that so again it's one of those situations where like designers thought you shouldn't do pure black but the market says differently and you just have to adopt at that point 
Yeah, but it is always tricky. And I think that it comes to mind is I've made the mistake in the past of going too far down this road of adding things like themes and uh, like these kind of more super superficial options to an app. And then I end up regretting it in the, in the sense that you now have three themes you need to support in your app. And, you know, when you anytime you add a view, anytime you make a change, you're going to have to make sure that it works well now in all three um, of those themes. Um, it reminds me in a weird way of localization where I have like in, in my early days with localization, I would get somebody who would say, hey, you know, I um, I would like to localize your app into, you know, whatever language they spoke natively. I, you know, I use it all the time. I think it'd be great. And I'd you know, be happy to do the translations for free. Just send me the strings file. And it's like, initially, I used to think that's a great idea. Like, sure, let me, let me you know, l- l- like the, m- the more the better. And then you realize now I need to support this going forward. And every time you add a string to your application, now you have to have it translated. Or now you, when you do screenshots, you need a different thing to manage there. And so while it is sometimes it's good to you know it's good to be adaptive and good to be uh re, you know responsive to to users. It is in the back of my mind. I've been burned enough by it now that I'm like, do I really want this theme? Do I really want to have to, you know, the, your your great trick where when you're checking uh you know dark mode switches, have it switch between the themes, you know, every 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 couple of seconds so that you can make sure that UI your your UI looks good. Do I really want that to cycle through three? Well, or now maybe if someone suggests four or five, like you, <laughs> it gets to a point where you can end up being too responsive to your users. And so I guess there's a certain element where you have to draw lines and you have to say like, or at least think about do I, how willing am I to support this? You know, how, and, or, do, and does this create confusion? Do people now, when they look in your settings app and look at the themes area and they're like, do I want dark or do I want black? Um, it's kind of like when, you know, Apple was selling the matte black and the jet black iPhones and just trying to be like it. Now I have this choice. I don't know. Like, how do I know which one's better? And, you know, the, having a bit of opinion there may actually uh, be helpful. But in, in this case, it's like you're, you're, you're at a certain point, you're being forced to do it um, just by the volume of requests. But it, it's always, yeah, it, it makes it makes my developer senses tingle a little bit and be like, <laughs> Do I really want to do this? Do I understand what I'm taking on by adding this? It seems like just a little option. You know, it's just, oh, it's just black. Um, but, you know, you this is just the, the way things go, I suppose. I mean, honestly, I did it on a plane flight. Like, that's how fast it was to do. Because It's like, almost worse. Yeah, Because I know. then if, well, if it's so easy, it's like, oh, let me just do this one <laughs> thing. And then there turns out that you have to support this one thing forever. Well, I mean, to be fair, like, you know, it, it's similar to localization. Uh, going from one to two themes is a lot more work than going from two to three. Um, and you know, like going from two to three, like if you, if you did your one to two migration, like if you added theming to your app in a reasonable way, adding additional themes is actually pretty straightforward. And you are right that, that, you know, there is certainly a testing and maintenance burden and maybe a screenshot burden if you, if you go that way for certain things. But, you know, it, it really is not as big of a deal. Um, but again, the reality is, if the market is like if people are willingly making their experience with your app worse and possibly their experience with their entire phone worse in order to achieve a thing that you don't think you have to do the reality is you probably have to do it sure yeah i mean ultimately 
yeah, it's like the, there's always a tension there, but you have to at a certain point you just have to relent. And it's I suppose it's more just a question of making sure we're being thoughtful when we relent, that we understand what we're taking on. Um, that these seemingly small choices that we uh, you know c- can make, we have to live with. Uh, for a long time and i guess that in some ways that's the theme of all three of these kind of challenges you've had to navigate yeah. is that whenever we are making choices uh, as we're developing we have to understand that you know we are going to live with all of these choices going forward and so at least trying to be thoughtful about them or think you know take a moment and be like do i really want to do this or how can this come back to bite me in the future you know how am i going to hate myself in the future because of this choice that i'm making and <laughs> having a little bit of thoughtfulness is probably wise um just to avoid um you know getting into situations that we may regret later thanks for listening everybody and we'll talk to you next week bye